what I wish we were doing in education, and, and I say we because I'm an educator, I was a teacher for many years as an early intervention specialist. What I wish we were doing in education is understanding that you should make that available to all students. It doesn't matter. You're going to find that students are going to learn in different ways, no matter what the makeup of their brain is, right? So let's just make that available. It's giving them options. And I'm a true believer in like, if you give people, it doesn't have to be kids, but if you give people options of how to learn things, they're going to surprise you every single time. And they're going to take whatever option feels comfortable to them. And they're going to learn. Welcome to Princess in the P podcast, a show where we talk about all things neurodiversity with those who know it best, lived experience, of course. I'm your host, Annie Crow, and I'm an autistic ADHDer. I started this podcast so I could share meaningful conversations that explore the lives of neurodivergent people like myself. We talk about everything from employment to healthcare, education, parenting, relationships, mental health, and more, but all with a neurospicy lens. Before we kick off, I just wanted to add a quick content warning for little ears. This podcast will be discussing mental health issues and serious adult business, so chuck on your headphones and grab a cup of tea, and as Bluey likes to say, let's do this. Today's guest is the exceptional human and thought leader, Amanda Morin. This is part two from our last episode and just as jam-packed with incredible content and wisdom from this incredible human. Again, a huge shout out to Amanda for truly obliging me and sharing her very valuable time so generously. I I have absolutely loved our chat and I think you're really going to enjoy this one too. In this episode, we dive into talking about inclusive work practices and what that looks like and some incredibly practical and useful tips from this magnificent human. I hope you enjoy it even half as much as I did because this woman is an absolute powerhouse and I love her authenticity. So here we go. Enjoy. We don't talk about the fact that that's the part of having this kind of disability that is hard. Mm. It is really hard. And I think I love that there's this push towards neurodiversity and recognizing it and knowing that it has strengths and knowing that it can be beneficial to have people in your workplaces and and all of that who think in creative and different kinds of ways. But the flip side of that is we don't ever stop. Exactly. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to have that going on all of the time. And that's one of the things that I want people to understand about us, people, people like us, where there's mm. this component where it's not just the outside world that is hard. It's the inside of us that's hard too, the inside world and how how all of that information processes all the time without filtering it. Yeah. And also it's how it affects your life in ways that people barely even think about. So most of us with ADHD especially have some kind of sleep disorder or 
you know, issues with sleep. I, for my whole life, have struggled to go to sleep, um, especially in, the, you know, if mm-hmm. I'm so wound up in the evening and my brain's racing with thoughts of the day, it's so hard to shut down as, a, as you know, I was like that all as a kid, but no one really thought anything about it. And then equally, Same. I literally can barely get out of bed in the morning. I'm not as bad as my, my husband is. He struggles more in the mornings, which makes me feel better. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> as a kid, getting up to go to school in the morning was such a challenge. I actually, in year eight and nine, I slept through first two periods of school for like most of that those years. <laughs> And I'd go in at morning tea. <laughs> and so there's twice exceptionality in action because you still did pretty well for yourself. Really. I did very well. I was a pretty straight A student with like not even attending class. And that's the kind of thing that like workplaces don't always accommodate for, right? You you can't yes. say, I had a really difficult sleep night. I have, I'll be in at 11, right? Or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and I think there are a lot of people... I know who are consultants, who are freelancers, who do gig work. And I think a lot of that has to do with their ability to set their own schedule. Oh, I so agree. And accommodate for those kinds of things. And I think that not all of us even know that's what we're doing, right? And True. That's so true. And again, it's that subtle, like, we're already making our own adjustments without consciously acknowledging that they're adjustments we need or want. Right, right. (laughs) And yet, I wish there were a way we could just really honestly say, I really didn't sleep well last night, but if you give me a couple of hours extra, you're going to see the most amazing work once I'm awake and ready to, to, to tackle this. Um, mm. You know, and I, I don't, I just don't know that we're in that kind of environment yet. No, neither. Mm. Yeah. I feel like we're barely breaking into the in like the acceptance of flexible work practices in in terms of even allowing reduced hours or different hours but they're still so rigid in a lot of the time they're like glued to a set period I want to be showing up to my job optimally and I don't want it to negatively impact my ability to adult and live (laughs) so if I can find the periods where you know, maybe I wake up on a Monday and I had a really bad night with my toddler and I had a pretty stressful, What? It, like it doesn't even need to be that. It can literally be like something happened in the news and it really affected me and I couldn't sleep. Like, yep. it, you yep. know, yep. It, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give traditional things like my, my child didn't sleep. Can you see the ableism coming out? <laughs> like it doesn't even need to be a legit reason or like a, a neurotypical reason for struggling. And then knowing that, you know, maybe I'll sleep better the next night. And then I wake up Tuesday, which isn't traditionally when I work, but God, I've had the best sleep and I feel recovered because I took the time on Monday to really reset. And now my brain is so ready for this. And I am not anxious about it because I have had control over it. Like, oh, there's just so many benefits to a truly flexible work environment. And I just feel like corporate world, especially is not there yet. And I hope that we, like, I really hope we keep heading in that direction because I think it's going to completely change everything. It's going to push innovation and creativity and profits and the economy. Like there's just so many things about why it would be helpful. Yes, there's also things that would be painful, but that's adjustment and change. And I think when we have these conversations about neurodiversity at work, and I, and I hear it often, Mm. I see it often, it's all over right now, you know, and it's trending. And that's great. It is. I think 
those of us who are the neurodiverse people at work have the opportunity to really push that envelope a little bit and say, this is where this is actually going to matter, right? Those are the kinds of things. And then that Tuesday, Mm -hmm. when you wake up refreshed, you're going to get three times as much done as you would have on Monday and maybe more than somebody else would in a whole week. Right. Oh, right. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's studies on how much yeah. more productive we are if given the right opportunity. Absolutely. To be. And I think yeah. there are environments where there are time sensitive things. And then there are environments where there's work to be to get done and figuring out which those in which which is which is really something that companies I would love to see them start doing is thinking about what's time sensitive and what's work that needs to get done in a you know a month but equally not not important like I, I feel like a lot of those tasks are things that and this is where I had an episode recently with an employment um, consultant and meaningful work came up a lot giving like being able to do meaningful work and I guess in this conversation I just I want you know employers listening if they are to not it needs to be, it still needs to be meaningful and valued because if it's not, then it's like you're just pushing us aside as an extra spot to fill. And we know, we know that you might not say that, but it's, we can feel it, you know, it, it needs, I need to know that I'm valued like all people in their job. So I think it's finding that balance of what's the, the timed priority that can't be flexible versus what other priorities which then they are like I don't know any workplace at least that I've been in that do work that's not critical it's just either critical in the next 24 hours or critical within a month like we're constantly chasing our tail and there's nothing to say that we're not the right person for the time critical thing either right Mm. you talked about hyper focus there are times where we are so on our game that we are exactly the right person to give that like If something needs to get done in the next two hours, hand it to me. I'll get it done for you in the next two hours as long as I don't have like slack going off in the background. Yeah. If you it know? has enough of a a deadline and a dopamine hit, <laughs> I am your girl. <laughs> I feel like we just have we, – we do have a book coming with all of these little tips here, right? Yeah, yeah. We do, we do, a I reckon. Deadline yep. and a dopamine oh, I would definitely read it a hundred times. <laughs> book title right yes. there. It's so <laughs> I mean, yeah, God, so much gold. (laughs) The one thing that's come up recently that uh, I'm sure you've seen is the dyslexic thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, the the ability to put dyslexic thinking as your skill set. And some of the controversy around it is, is kind of what we've been talking about around acknowledging the wins but not forgetting the struggle and I think the people that are not happy about it are the ones that truly are concerned that in focusing on the incredible things about dyslexia people are going to forget that we truly do need accommodations and that goes for all disabilities Uh, and I totally agree with that but at the same time the reason that I'm not completely against that type of thing even though I always want to caveat any sort of superpower thing is because and this is like my sort of I guess mental health obsession because I I really try and balance that embracing and understanding your neurodiversity while balancing your mental health and for me 
a lot of my mental health relies on how I view myself and how the other people view me and whether I feel empowered to set boundaries and be heard and understood and all of those things. And and the one thing that this immediately creates in my mind is that if we don't if we don't shout at the joys of neurodivergence, then all we're left with is the medical model, which is completely deficit focused. And I'm telling you, every time I, and I do, because this is my area, I read constant research and articles in this space and it is so depressing. I have to, every time I read a research article, not every research article, there's a few that are really, you know, cutting edge, starting to embrace the neurodiversity aspect, but most of them are still very much caught up in the medical model that's deficits focused. And I read it and think, God, people must think we are (laughs) awful. (laughs) I do. I agree with that. I agree. I, you know, and I, I'm a much bigger proponent of the social model, right? That says the environment where you, when you interact with the environment and that's where disability comes in, right? There are environments in which I don't feel at all disabled and there are environments in which I feel completely disabled. Same. I had an interesting experience recently. April is always what, you know, is autism month. And my 12 year old, the middle school he goes to um, was celebrating. They said they wanted to celebrate Autism Awareness Month, and he is an incredible advocate for himself. Amazing. You know, the the older two were practice children. He's doing great. You know, <laughs> just kidding. He's a wonderful advocate, and he actually went into the school and was like, "I want you to remember that this is actually Autism Autism Acceptance Month, not Autism Awareness Month, because you're all aware of me." you're aware of me. I exist. I want you to accept me. I don't need you to be aware of me. Language is so important. I I was so proud of him. And also, it was just such a simple way of putting it, right? And what he he was saying is, celebrate me. Celebrate me for all of the things that I am. Don't be aware that I sit in your midst, you know? And I think that's what the dyslexic thinking component of things does, is it says, there are strengths here. There are strengths that we can tap into to really show what we know. And, you know, one of the things in the United States, we have ed- individualized education programs, IEPs, which kids who are identified as a whole, it's a whole thing. And that's actually a whole thing of what I, what I know. But one of the things that I'm working on right now is a project around strength-based IEPs. So instead of looking at things Amazing. from a deficit model, you look at it what are kids' strengths and how do you tap into them in ways that really engage them so that they can learn, you know? And it just seems so simple to me, but it really means having those conversations, starting those conversations, like asking people, what are you good at? What do you do well? Instead of like, what are your needs, right? And, And I think we don't do that often enough. We don't ask the question of, what are you really good at? We ask, what do you need? Yeah. Uh, I love that you said that because for me, I was very gifted at maths. I'm very good with pattern recognition and numbers, but absolutely shocking with reading and English, basically, <laughs> uh, which probably surprises people. But I, you know, I remember as a kid, people, you know, you grow up and you talk to adults and they're like, oh, what do you like at school? Blah, blah, blah. And my party line was always, oh, I love maths and science is cool and 
I hate English. Like, But I've never, ever been asked why I didn't like English. Now that I know about my dyslexia and my ADHD especially, unpacking that is very complex for me because so much of why I didn't like English was around my absolute fear of reading anything out loud in class, which happens in English. Spelling, which I've always been atrocious at and I literally... Um, it doesn't affect my life now. Autocorrect and Grammarly have like completely negated that as an adult. Changed the game. It's changed the game. And it just makes me think if I was given access to that as a kid, knowing that those things weren't something I just needed to learn because I literally can't learn them. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> I still struggle with grammar and, and spelling, especially handwriting it and even typing. I just make silly mistakes all the time. You know, I, every time I try to write me, I write my and like I have these weird things that I've never, never even thought about. When I was reading about dyslexia, I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> what? Because, and it's hard because I'm so hyperverbal. Like I am very good with speaking, always have been, very early speaker. We are definitely brain twins. I was the same way at, th- at that age. Amazing. But it's interesting to me because what if somebody had said to you, how can we use your love of science to help you read? Right. Yes. Yeah. And today we have such, such abilities to make that easier for kids. What I wish we were doing in education, and and I say we, because I'm an educator, I was a teacher for many years as an early intervention specialist. What I wish we were doing in education is understanding that you should make that available to all students. Exactly. It doesn't matter. You're going to find that students are going to learn in different ways, no matter what the makeup of their brain is, right? So let's just make that available. It's not cheating. It's not making it, you know, too easy. It's giving them options. And I'm a true believer in like, if you give people, it doesn't have to be kids, but if you give people options of how to learn things, they're going to surprise you every single time. And they're going to take whatever option feels comfortable to them. And they're going to learn. And so that's my soapbox that I'm stepping off now. Absolutely. And I love that soapbox. No, stay on it. I love it because the thing, and and that hits home to some of the stuff I talk about, because one thing I'm very passionate about is helping women understand, especially autism and ADHD, because we are so underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. And part of that is, I guess for me, is that coming at it from the other side, if we have to wait for the world to catch up and give us access to like adequate and early diagnosis which we definitely still are doing then let's make the accommodations that we fight for apply to everyone because one you're right they will help everyone no matter if you are or are not neurodivergent and equally they will help the few people that are out there the many people that are out there that Mm -hmm. are neurodivergent and don't know it which was me, like I knew I had all these problems. I just had no idea how to advocate for them, how to articulate them, how to speak about them. It was most of them were drenched in shame. And anytime I ever tried to ask, people would just be like, what? <laughs> Why do you need that? And I'd immediately be like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, that's that's my that's my 22 year old voice. <laughs> I'll do anything. <laughs> I just was so desperate to not be seen as a burden. and. Every time I've unmasked, that's the reaction I get is I'm either too, I'm odd or I'm a burden or I'm strange or annoying, like, you know, whatever ableist term you want to name. And so, you know, we just learn over time not to speak about it. And so part of my 
understanding my diagnosis and, you know, doing all the work that I do is unpacking all of that. And, and so when I saw your talk about how you advocate at work for your own needs, I was just blown away because you did it in such a matter of fact way that it didn't even feel like you were justifying your own diagnoses. It was just, this is how I work. This is just how I work. And everyone needs to be like that. And if everyone is like that, then people like me won't feel weird being like that. <laughs> we'll feel in, empowered that everyone has the right to talk about what's what makes them the most productive or what helps them function better. And it's not just a us and them thing. And that's that's my goal. And that, that that's my entire goal. And and what what you saw me go through was sort of this document that was communication preferences, the way I work best, the hours that I work best, how I need to process information, all of these kinds of things that are just part of being a human, right? And I think to me, it took me a really long time to realize that speaking up is not the same thing as explaining yourself, right? Like you don't have to explain why you are who you are. You just have to tell people who you are Yeah. And that's okay. It's okay to tell people who you are and how they can interact with you. And I, and I, I don't know what it is that just all of a sudden I realized this is important. This is really important and it's important for everybody. So The more we normalize it, the more we normalize the fact that everybody has the right to speak up about what helps them at work. Right. And it's not costing any money. No, exactly. And it's probably making stronger teams and people who work better together because they understand each other better. And it saves on conflict, right? Because when somebody knows that I'm not ignoring them, I'm just having a moment where I'm thinking really hard. If they know that about me, or if I know that like, you're not the person I should talk to about a heavy, important thing at eight o'clock in the morning. Yes. Because- Right. My husband would love those that. Are the things, <laughs> <laughs> those are the things that really matter is is yes. building strong teams who do good work together, right? Or I don't know. And and to me, it was matter of fact. It took me a long time to get there. And what I hope is that the rest of the world will catch up, right? And I hope that that we can get to a place where people are asking to know how you work best. Right. That's what I want. When I interview people, that's what I want to know. You know, there are oftentimes when I do interviews for for job candidates, what I'll say to them is, if you need time to process, you just need to tell me. Yeah. And that's fine. Take the time you need. You know, I'll say to people, if there's something you think about after the fact and you want to email me oh, and let me know. God, you would be the best interviewer. It's about. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. I don't that. know. I don't know if I am or not. Well, and also, like, I feel like for people like me, that would just immediately put me at ease and negate a lot of anxiety that I have over masking and over hiding. You know, the fact that if they ask me a question, I might forget within a second what they've asked right. me. So there are, there are phrases that I think a lot of people can start using either if you're interviewing or you're or if you're just you know working, right? Yeah. Things like can you rephrase that for me? And that that doesn't say mm. I didn't understand you. What it says is I need to hear it differently. And and I think that that's one of the things that, that. is in my how to work with me is sometimes I'm going to say to you, can you say that in a different way? That's not me saying there's something wrong with me or you. It's just saying we didn't connect. And I think it's about finding those neutral ways. I'm a 
And the other phrase I use a lot is, can I ask a clarifying question? Oh, I love that. Or I'm going to, you know, I have yeah, some clarifying have questions. <laughs> I have a follow-up, right? That's so good. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that one of the other things that I would always encourage people to do is realize you're not the only person in the room who probably has that question. Yeah. And if you're the one who's brave enough to ask it, you're going to get 16 emails after the big meeting where people are like, I'm so glad you asked that question because I had no idea either. Yeah. I feel like I could retire if I had enough money for all of the emails that I got <laughs> that said, like, I'm so glad you asked that in that meeting. And people see me as like brave and, and speaking up. And I'm just like, this is just who I am. I say what I mean and I mean what I say. Mm -hmm. And we don't always live in a world where people do that. Yeah. And I think it's so important to cultivate a work environment that supports that because I'm exactly the same. And the jobs that I've thrived in, that our whole teams have thrived in, are the jobs where the culture is so that the manager never gives you any sort of negative feedback for being curious and asking questions and clarifying. Like that type of environment is just so positive. You know, it's 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 almost like empowering innovation, right? You know, getting people to feel safe enough to ask the hard questions and and be curious yeah. and not just accept the status status quo because it's how it's always been done, which I think is the worst excuse for things. <laughs> Absolutely. The, this is the way we do this is no. not a reason. It's just exactly. a statement, right? You know, one of the things I would point out, though, is being a person who means what you say and say, says what you mean can be difficult in a workplace. It can be difficult in the world. It, it can be difficult in the world because you expect it of other people. Like I, I say that, I, you know, I'm going to rephrase that and say, I expect that of other people. Yeah, I do too. And I have been naive in my lifetime. Because people don't do that generally. They, they don't do that. Right. And that has been hard for me as an adult. So when we talk about adulting, which, you know, oh yeah, when we talk about adulting, that's been one that was really hard for me to learn is, oh, yeah. that's not the way everybody works. Sometimes they're thinking something else when they say this thing. And that's hard for me. Yeah, which is mind blowing. I know, right? Yeah. How are we supposed to read their mind and that and to be honest I do a lot of mind reading which is a, a term in mental health that's not very like it's an adaptive thing right where you are trying to read someone's mind and I think the reason why people like me are very vulnerable to that type of thinking pattern is because we've been forced to really try and read minds because we're not intuitively able to and so it's a very cognitive process and it can get us into trouble a lot of the time it helps, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's the hard part is like you're using all this extra cognition and energy just because the world communicates to you in a way that is different to how you want it to or yeah. can interpret properly. Yeah. My, my older son um, always wants to know what it is that other people know that he doesn't, right? So he, when he was in high school, he would come home and he would say, I don't understand why everybody knows how to do this. And I often would say to him, I don't think everybody does know how to do this. You may just think that they do. But at one point I realized I needed to start employing the phrase, I don't have any magical secret answer that I'm hiding from you. I love that. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge to other people who are neurodivergent, other people who don't read the room as well, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. say, there's no magical secret that other people are hiding from you. Yeah. It, you know, like we're, we would tell you if we'd know, we'd tell you if you'd, we knew, but also on my part, 
I don't know if you have some magical thing that you're hiding from me. I assume <laughs> yeah, when you point. say, <laughs> I assume that when you say I'll call you, it means I'm going to call you. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? yeah. Right. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, I, it's so such a good point. And I guess I, I need to let you go, even though I could talk to you all day. The last thing I guess I really want to ask you about, and we have touched on this, but I just wanted to sort of highlight it and basically in terms of everything we've been saying is the, I guess, the underlying thing, the unsaid thing of, and and this is, you know, the, what, were you, what was the thing you called it, the spiky or... Um, oh, the asynchronous development, the uneven, the, the uneven. uneven. Yeah, because for me, something that I think is is hard for people to understand, especially because there's just not a lot of information out there about gifted and twice exceptional people like us is how do we I mean if I think about myself as a teen a teenager and or even a younger but let's just focus on teenager it was very hard you know it's hard for all teens to find their identity and figure out you know what they're good at what they're not so good at and what they want to do and all of that jazz that's that's a universal thing but as an, an undiagnosed neurodivergent teen something that I wish I had some kind of access to would be the knowledge that the things that I struggle with don't outweigh the things that I'm good at because I guess in my black and white mind I was very much I couldn't understand how I could be so good at things with no effort and then struggle so desperately with other things and and as a kid I just couldn't believe that the good side of it was the truth because I kept having examples where it wasn't and you know if you have to pick then obviously well not obviously but maybe I'm a bit more pessimistic or negative I was more believing of the proof that I wasn't good at things versus the huge amount of proof that I was gifted at certain things like it was such a a disconnect for me to be like, how can I be so intelligent and struggle with certain things that shouldn't be a struggle? Mm-hmm. And I, I still am that way. But I mean, I've obviously, I understand it now. And yet it's still hard. It is. Because even just hearing you talk about it now, using the phrase, things that I shouldn't struggle with, mm. is interesting to me because they just are things you struggle with, right? And True. And I hear you. I, I, you know, I don't want to negate that 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 experience for no, you no, at no, all. No, no, no. But it's such a good message because we hold ourselves we hold ourselves to other standards as well. And, you know, and and I can tell you all of the right things to say, but it doesn't mean I feel it on the inside. I just want to say that out loud for yeah. anyone who's listening yeah. because I'm my own harshest critic. I just went back into consulting, and I was telling okay. somebody today, my boss is so hard on me. And they were laughing. And I was like, I'm my own boss, just in case you didn't know that. I'm my boss now. And I'm really hard on me. Right. Yeah. The what, hardest boss. I get it. I I want teens to know. It's interesting. I think about it with my own kids, right? Because I, I have kids who I have raised into adulthood. I have one who I'm still raising into adulthood. And what I want them to know is you don't have to be good at everything. You don't have to be so true you can there can be things that you love and be really not great at and that's okay too right we don't have to be great at everything it's when it gets in the way of you feeling like 
you're living the life you want to live, yeah. then that's when it's it's worth saying to somebody, this is really hard for me. Is this yeah. hard for everybody? And I think that that um, reality check is really important to be able to say to somebody, is this something that's hard for other people? Yeah. Or is this just hard for me? And, you know, and sometimes it's not your parents, right? No. And sometimes it's not your friends. Sometimes it's just like that one person that you trust out there in the world to be able to just say, I'm going to be really vulnerable for a minute and say, is this supposed to be this hard? <laughs> yeah. And the answer may be, yep, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or the answer may be no, right? And I just, I think it's important to realize, like, you don't have to be great at everything. I agree. But that's really hard, especially for people who are twice exceptional to realize, because yeah. we are great at so many things. Exactly. And then the things that we're not great at feel even more f like a failure because they're just yes. so on the opposite end of what we're used to. And I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be like, oh, you know, I'm so talented. I don't like it when I'm not. It's not that. It's no. There's something. There's something really specific here, though, that I, that I would like to try to explain because I think it's really important. Yeah, please do. You talked about. Um, I like that you talk about maths and science. We talk about math here, so I just I love hearing oh, maths. Love it. <laughs> and math is very, very hard for me. Very hard for me. And my husband is wonderful. And I can't tell my left from my right. Oh, I can't. I either. still can't. You know, I can't tell my left from my right. I don't judge distances at all. I have very weird visual spatial Same. kind of stuff. You know, so when we're parking. He's like, "You have this much space." I'm like, "I have no idea whether that's like an inch or that's like I, I don't know what that is." <laughs> but I'm always like, there are things that I just can't understand that are mathematically based, and I'm so angry at myself all the time that I can't understand them, and like. I'm not going to because I know I can't because that's the way my brain is wired. It's just not going to grasp this. And that's okay because I don't work a job where I need to know that. I don't do anything in the world where I need to know how to calculate Pythagorean's theorem. You know, I don't, I don't need to know that. And yet I'm so angry at myself so often that I can't get it. And I think that's the part that I want people to understand is that and like you can see my, but the, the, the listeners yeah, yeah. can't. I have my fists clenched, and I'm like really, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm doing this. Like, yeah, I'm so really mad. Yeah, intent here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a very intense feeling to know, it like, is. and yet I could go write a book, and have mm. more than once. Yes, exactly. I could go write a book. And I could have it published and it's on bookshelves. You know, I can have a podcast. I can yep. I can do all of these wonderful things. And I can't understand this one thing. And it's it's maddening. It's just so frustrating to me. It's maddening. And I think that that's really important that we are so metacognitive. We're so aware yes. of our own thinking that we don't understand why we can't think about this thing. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why can't I logic my way out of this? Because for me, I have literally invested years of trying to figure out my adulting skills around, you know, feeding myself and my family. Let's just focus on that for a second. And, you know, this, uh, I just feel like you've put it so beautifully because I have not only read so much on the topic, like enough to do a PhD in it. 
and have done enough therapy with, you know, occupational therapists and psychologists to try and implement so many techniques that will help. There is literally nothing. There's a few things that have made it a little bit easier, but there is nothing that has overwhelmingly made me okay at dealing with this. And it's very recent for me that I'm starting to realize that maybe I just need to accept that this is not a skill of mine, no matter how much I try to develop one, and that I'm better putting my actual skills that are much more effortless into use and getting support in those areas. And that's where I think you're right. You don't need maths. I mean, we live with technology. You're not a mathematician. Cool. You don't need maths, (laughs) but we need to eat. So I guess the thing that I want to hone in on is I completely agree that we need to, you know, embrace the stuff that we're good at and not be as upset by the stuff that really is a struggle. But then there's that middle layer of, and you said this exactly with, you know, does it affect where you want to go, right? Is that there are the things that you aren't maybe so good at that are actually still really critical for you to doing the stuff that you are good at. And I guess the message that I'm starting to learn from my own therapist is um, like I, I had an appointment with a dietitian the other day and she was, I was saying, oh, I really need to like get better at meal planning and cooking at home and things I've been trying to do for years, right? And she was like, why? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean why? <laughs> and, and she's great. She's she's actually autistic and uh, is the, I, I yeah, she's amazing because she's one of the first therapists I've ever seen that, and, and to be honest, most of my neurodivergent therapists are like this, that instead of just consistently trying to fix everything, they actually sit back and question how much of this needs fixing versus support. And that's where I think the key is around the disability, right? <laughs> Amanda's nodding. Yes. Furiously. Yes. Yes. My eyes just went really big. And they did. the key in that is questioning, the questioning whether or not it needs to be fixed. You know what? The dietitian is there to help you do that meal planning. It exists in the world in somebody else yeah. and they have that skill. I, okay, going to be honest here. When I started doing the consulting thing, started thinking about resumes and all of that. Yeah. And I was just like completely overwhelmed. I bet. Yeah. And in the nicest possible way, my husband said to me, when somebody needs an expert in special education and neurodiversity, who do they call? And I'm like, hopefully me. Ah, you. He said, so <laughs> you're not an expert in resume writing why don't you call an expert in resume writing who can help you with that? And I was just like, gosh, darn it. That's so smart, right? It's just such a light bulb. It was a moment where I went, oh, I don't have to figure this out. There are other people who can help me do this. And, And I love that that's the realization you're coming to because we don't have to do it all. We don't have to do it all. And that's, I mean, that's just a good good message for anybody, but especially for those of us who think we should be able to grasp all the things. Yep. Yep. Who have constant examples in our life where we have very easily grasped complex problems that many people would struggle with and then equally not grasped quite simple things that most people don't even put their minds to on a day-to-day basis. It's just such a... like. Do you have band-aids in the house? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I just, yeah, I love that. I love, I love that we finished on this note because I just, I feel like these conversations need to keep happening and 
especially by people like yourself that are just so wonderful at explaining how it all works because you know this is how I've come about learning my own everything uh, how I've learned about all the strengths I have and 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 been able to dissect some of my challenges that I can either get help to work on or just get help to support and acknowledge that maybe it's an area I don't need to waste any energy on anymore because it's okay not to be good at some things like you say <laughs> and and especially the adulting things that the world tell us right uh, the definition of requiring you to be an adult because to be honest I'm a terrible adult <laughs> like I am absolutely shocking at all the basic adulting stuff but you know I could write a law thesis in my sleep I could do a podcast while I'm having a snack like I could yeah the stuff that most people find taxing is a breeze but the stuff that yeah. isn't is just it's like climbing Mount Everest on a daily basis for me <laughs> Absolutely. And we don't need to be paddling under the surface all the time. Exactly. We just don't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Ugh. This is, Thank you so much. This has been the best conversation. Thank you so yes. much. Oh, I love it. Thank you, Amanda. I honestly, I was, I've just been so excited to get you on the podcast and gosh, I hope my guests enjoy you half as much as I have because this has just been Oh, so enlightening. I feel like you definitely have at least another five plus books in you. Oh, goodness. Minimum. <laughs> I need a nap first. <laughs> yeah. Because you're just full of incredible, incredible lived experience along with your amazing background in education and, and the disability sector. I just, it's such a, a wonderful variety of, of knowledge that it's so hard to find that combined and I, I just I, I absolutely love all the advocacy that you do do and how open you are with your own journey which is exactly I guess how I'm trying to be because I know that even though it's hard for us it's one it's helps out it helps us accept ourselves right but equally and more importantly for me and probably you is that it helps others that we know are out there just like us that desperately need to hear this just so they can have better lives themselves because I would give anything to have to listen to these conversations when I was in school <laughs> anything Me too we're, yeah. we're paving the way we we're are paving the we way. Are. And I'm so glad that you're doing it with me and and the world thank you thank you Amanda thank you so much for inviting me this has been great Well, I hope you enjoyed part two of such an incredible conversation. I absolutely love listening to Amanda and all of her wisdom. I'll pop her info in the show notes for anyone else who wants to follow her genius online like I do. <laughs> also, if you like what you hear and want more, you can show your support and buy me a coffee, but not really a coffee because I don't drink coffee. Um but help me pay for some editing support so that I can keep these episodes coming and get them out sooner. I've got guests flowing in left, right and center, which is so exciting. And I'm actually already seven episodes ahead with recorded interviews. And I'm just waiting to edit and produce them and, and upload them, which my executive functioning in PDA love. <laughs> So every cent you can spare counts. Thank you for listening and please send me a message on any of the socials and let me know what content you'd like to hear. And if you have anyone you'd like me to reach out to, to be a guest on the show or just sharing your story. I absolutely love hearing from you all. 
and seeing how Princess and the Pea has already had such an impact on so many amazing neurodivergent lives. For those who are new here, I created this podcast as a platform to talk to incredible neurodivergent humans and our allies about how we show up in the world and how we can make a more neuroinclusive society. I only found out about my own neurodivergence at 28 years old, a few years ago now. Before then, I'd spent years trying to understand myself and trying to fix the parts of me that felt quote unquote broken. Discovering my neurodivergence was initially a shock, and when trying to understand it from a medical deficit-based perspective, things got dark real quick. It wasn't until I stumbled upon the neurodivergent community on social media where I started to see the light and learn to truly embrace my differences and practice radical self-acceptance, which has done wonders for my mental health and quality of life. I share my own stories mostly because I find examples helpful and also to hopefully make my neurokin feel less alone in their own struggle. I get multiple messages a day from women like me who share so many of these experiences. And although I don't love sharing some of the more difficult parts of my life, I do it for the benefit of you. And if this helps even one of you to feel seen and heard and understood It's worth it to me. So join me on my journey of radical self-acceptance and trying to create a more neurodiversity-affirming world. Don't forget to head over to our socials and connect at princessinthep.pod and I'm on there too at nd.millennial. That's two L's and two N's for those dyslexic minds like mine out there. If you enjoy this content and want more like it, please leave us a rating and review and share with all your friends and loved ones. It helps us out a lot. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Over and out.